Welcome to the Jazz Notes podcast. Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt, kslsports.com. Appreciate you subscribing, finding us wherever you do it. Uh, it's really a pleasure for us. We like to record this every Tuesday. We look back at the last week for the Utah Jazz. We look forward to the next week. We grade what we've seen so far, address whatever pressing topics there are, and then, of course, answer your mailbag questions. And also now, if you haven't done it, make sure you subscribe to the uh, Jazz Notes newsletter that you can do at kslsports.com. You will get this podcast delivered to you first, earlier than anybody else gets it, as well as some unique content, uh, some some early access to some stories that don't go out fully at kslsports.com uh, until after you've already gotten it through the newsletter. So make sure you go do that. Again, easy to sign up, kslsports.com. I've tweeted it out at Ben's Hoops. We tweet it out at kslsports.com uh, as well. So very easy to do. All right, Chandler, do you want to give us a quick rundown of uh, what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, so first we're going to go over the last three games. The Jazz uh, lost two straight to the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves. And then uh, last game, they picked up an overtime win over Portland. That was a great game. Speaking of the newsletter, in addition to getting the podcast early, you can also get some exclusive content, some stuff that we talk about on the show today. We bring up the question if it's still possible for the Jazz to make the playoffs. They're currently 7-13, and but got a lot of NBA season left. Uh, we'll go over some weekly news points, look at the upcoming week of games, look around the NBA, and then give our Jazz grades. All right, let's get started with the last three games. Jazz go one and two, really, really ugly losses to start the week. I mean, those games in Memphis and then Minnesota were pretty disheartening if you were a Jazz fan. I mean, that Minnesota or that uh, Memphis game is up there with the Portland loss on the road is yes. one of the ugliest. It was the first win for Memphis at home. Jazz had not played well. They looked really disjointed. And then in Minnesota, they just, I mean, they, I don't want to say they got embarrassed. Minnesota's the best team in the NBA or has the best record is right up there with Boston. That was a game you were going to lose. It was the second night of a back-to-back, playing against a team that is really hungry, that has players that are motivated specifically to beat the Jazz and Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and they played like it. Uh, that was going to be a tough one regardless. But they do bounce back and had a very fun game against the Portland Trailblazers. And a winning does cure all, and it makes you feel better. But I do think you have to step back and say, well, the Jazz went 1-2, and two, and their only win was at home over Portland, and they had to go to overtime to do it. Yes, exactly. Uh, they lost by 14 to the Grizzlies and then lost by 11 to Minnesota. Um, big thing I noticed in the first game, the Jazz definitely have a lot of strengths that you can look at this year. That we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that when we talk about if they can make the playoffs. Um, one of those things is rebounding, and they got out-rebounded. Um, against Memphis without Brandon Clark, without Steven Adams, a yeah. lot of their big rotation. They lose that rebounding battle by 12. Also, in both of the losses, Jazz shoot 38% from the floor. You're not going to win a lot of games if you can't reach the 40% mark. No, basically none. Yes. Unless you're an elite, elite defensive team, which actually over the last five games, the Jazz are number three in the in the NBA in, in defensive rating. We can talk about that a little bit more and some of the changes that have brought that upon. But... Yeah, you got to be able to score, and you've got to be able to uh, score efficiently, and they weren't able to do it. There were some pluses. Keontae George had the worst shooting night of his career when he went 4 of 19 yeah. against, was it Minnesota? Mm-hmm. And then bounced back and was really good against Portland. And I think that's a really nice sign from a rookie to say, man, I had the worst outing maybe of my basketball career and was embarrassed on a national stage and then the next day, it washed out of my mind, and I answered, and I wasn't afraid to take 17 shots again, which was a question I had. Like, was he going to take 19 shots again all season long, or was he going to say, ooh, last time I did that, I went 4 of 19. It was really embarrassing. That's a terrible feeling. Instead of risking feeling that again, I'm just never going to shoot the ball that much. He bounced back, and he took 17 shots and hit seven of them, which is not a perfect percentage by any means, but he had by far his best statistical performance, 21.6 rebounds, six assists, uh, and... 
made really big plays, important plays, and still didn't shoot the three well. So he's finding ways to score inside the paint, which was a a big key for him to 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 continue to develop. Yeah, and in the fourth quarter and overtime of that game, he had a, a good amount of his misses then. So for the first three quarters, he was shooting around 50% from the floor. I thought it was, without a doubt, his best game of the season so far. He had the 19-3 and three game when the uh, Jazz beat the Pelicans earlier. But yeah, 21-6-6. Six and six. Um, the, the big question for me is one for eight from three. I, I feel like every game I watch, I'm just waiting for it. And for some reason, every time he shoots, I'm, I'm still thinking it's going to go in. Um, but I'm sure that the one for eight games and a lot of those performances are going to slowly start going away. It's going to turn into three for eight and you're going to live with that. I wrote about it in Minnesota and I haven't updated the numbers since uh, they played against Portland. It's a really interesting thing. His, the, the percentage of threes that he makes that are assisted on is second lowest on the jazz. And why does that matter? Like seven of the jazz players, a hundred percent of their threes are assisted which means they're getting, what, catch-and-shoot threes. Yeah. Well, that's a great shot. You're open, someone kicks the ball to you in the corner, you hit that thing. Now, there is one knock on Keontae, which is even in those opportunities, he's not hitting catch-and-shoot threes. But it also tells me he's having to take a lot of dribble-in three-pointers. He's having to dribble into his shots. Well, those are really hard to make. Yes. That's a really bad shot in the NBA, and the elite of the elite players are good at it. James Harden, Donovan Mitchell— Paul George, you know, Anthony Edwards is getting there. Like these guys that can dribble in and create their own shot, especially a three, become MVPs. He can't do that yet, but he's trying to. The only other player on the Jazz who takes more dribble into three-point shots and makes them is uh, uh, Jordan Clarkson. And he just has to yeah. because you actually do have to have that shot in your arsenal. Lowry Markin, over 90% of his threes that he makes are assisted. All of John Collins, all of Ochai Abashis, all of Kelly Olynyk, Like, it's not all that fair, actually, to, uh, to, to Keontae George in his rookie season. He has to create so much of his own offense. But that is part of being a point guard and part of being that job, and that's what's something the Jazz need from him. He doesn't shoot a great percentage. If he was set up better, he would have a higher percentage, but he also has to knock the shots down that he does get set up for, and he hasn't done that either. Definitely. Looking at his stats, he's averaging 10.5, and 3-5. Of course, when your role is continuously getting more and more you're getting more and more minutes as the season goes on you're going to have better stats he's shooting 35 percent from the floor 31 percent from three i think that as he continues to gain confidence and once he gets through about the halfway point of the season when he has all those games under his belt we could probably expect that his at least his field goal percentage to creep up near 40 and maybe he can get his three-point percentage above 33 percent but i was looking at some uh jazz stats and this could be a good transition into can the jazz make the playoffs right now they're seven and 13 six and four at home one and nine on the road they have some stats that are really going in their favor of course they turn the ball over the most in the NBA and outside of the past week they have a really bad defense but they're eighth in assists per game which I was looking at the just the individual player stats Keontae has the most assists per game on the team at five and I was like oh okay maybe the Jazz don't get that many assists but they do and they're also third in total rebounds a game first in offensive rebounds a game if you can build off of those things then I think it's definitely possible to make a playoff push but at the end of the day you cannot lose games like the one in Memphis like the 30-point loss to Portland earlier in the season, and you also have to not be 1-9 and nine on the road. You need to win at least 30 40% of your road games. Yeah, they're such a bad road team. That alone is going to make it really hard to make the playoffs. So if that is the big question, 20 games into the year, basically a quarter into the season, is it still worth pursuing the playoffs? And that's a big question for the Jazz because you have to start making decisions as soon as December 15th, 10 days from now, whether or not you need to start thinking about playing the young players come January, which is what they did last year with Walker and Ochai, 
or do you try and improve the roster at the trade deadline, which I know has been a very big question from Jazz fans. We seem to get that question every week in the mailbag, like which trade do you make, get better or get worse, get better or get worse. And you're still at a point where I don't think it's obvious. And because they continue to win games like they do over Portland and they're 7-13 and and they're not actually all that far back of the 10th seed in the West and because they just let everybody into the playoffs now with the play-in <laughs> tournament, like it's kind of stupid in December to pull the plug. So the Jazz are 7-13, and like we said. They're only two and a half games back of the 10th seed. Like two and a half games back with 60 games to play. Like you go into the final two weeks of the season two and a half games back thinking like, oh man, if everything breaks our way, we can climb a seed. So of course you're not pulling the plug on the playoffs yet. And then the question is, okay, how do you get there? And I think the argument for how you get there, Chandler, is, well, Lowry comes back. Walker's healthy finally. The defense is much better with Walker in the lineup, but also better because you've put Omer Yurtsevin in the, the rotation. Simone Fontecchio's playing like his hair's on fire on the defensive end. Like, all these pieces start to fit. And if Lowry can become all-star, borderline all-NBA player again, in that conversation, next to those guys, well, you've got a much improved offense and a seemingly really good defense all of a sudden. Is that possible? Now, it's also worth noting over these last five games, maybe the defense is better because Lowry's not in the rotation because he's an okay defensive player, but he's not an elite defensive player. Kelly Olenek's also missed some time. Jordan Clarkson's also missed some time. And those guys are going to come back and play, and they are not great defensive players. So you're going to lose some of your defensive identity just by bringing them back. And then are you keeping Omer Yurtsevin in the rotation? And does he start? Because you probably have to go back to Walker starting at some point. Will you go to Walker and Lowry starting and then move John Collins and Omer Yurtsevin to the bench, which I think is a real conversation that we haven't talked about yet, but like there's some writing on the wall that I think that might be the case. I think that could work. And the question is then, is John Collins okay coming off the bench? Like He's just going to have to be. John, I don't know what to tell you. You're just going to have to do that. So... There's a lot going on there of, like, can they actually improve? And then the things working against them, there's a lot more working against the Jazz than working for them as far as making the playoffs. And I, I you'll see an article coming out, especially if you're uh, subscribed to the newsletter. You'll see this, some of this argument against the Jazz making it. Uh, teams that have started the season 7-13 and 13, over the last 10 years, there's only three teams, or four teams, excuse me, there's only four teams that started the year 7-13 and 13, that finished in the top 10 of the conference over the last decade. So you're talking about 40 or, or 100 teams, right? 10 teams over 10 years, yep. 100 teams. The ones that started 7-13, and 13, 4% have been able to finish in the top 10, and none of them have, ever, have made the playoffs. Now, some of this is flawed, Chandler, because, of course, you're going to try harder now because there are 10 spots to make the playoffs instead of just eight, and that, that changes the numbers some. I, I recognize that. But it's just really hard to make up this type of ground, even when you dig yourself a hole that early in the season. And then really the biggest problem might be, well, who are you going to jump? Because, yeah, you might be 12th in the West right now. Well, guys, you're not going to be better than the Warriors, and they're 11th. Like, it's not like there's all these, this fodder, this fish food that is sitting in front of you that you're just going to naturally overcome because they're trash and they're going to fall to the bottom of the, the West by the end of the year. Like, 11th is the Warriors. 10th is the Rockets. Maybe you don't believe in the Rockets, but they've got Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks and a bunch of young players and a really good coach. They're going to keep trying to win. In fact, they might make trades at the deadline to get better. They're not trying to get worse. They went out and signed all these guys in the offseason. They gave Dylan Brooks $80 million this summer. <laughs> They gave Fred Van Vliet like $120 million for three years. Like, they are trying to win. They're going to try and get better. 
The Clippers are going to figure it out. Yes. I don't think they're going to win a title, but they're going to get better. The Pelicans, maybe you don't believe in the Pelicans. I understand that. But they have Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, and they just won a tournament game to go to the Final Four in Las Vegas. Like, that's a good team. Believe it or not, the Lakers are good. The Mavericks are good. The Kings are good. The Suns are good. The Nuggets are good. The Thunder are good. The Timberwolves are good. Who are you jumping in that, much less jumping two teams in that to get up to number 10? Yes. That's my problem for the Utah Jazz right now, and that's where my worry is. And then that doesn't even talk about Chandler, the teams that are behind them, the Portland Trailblazers, who are young, like the Jazz, but are also missing their best player, Anthony Simons, who's going to come back any day now and provides the same offensive boost that Lowry Markkinen does. And not to mention, I think Shaden Sharp's going to continue to get better. I bet Scoot Henderson gets better. I bet they gel more with Jeremy Grant, DeAndre Ayton. And they have an argument to do exactly what jazz fans are hoping the jazz can do, which is get better throughout the year. Oh, and then, by the way, there's this guy named John Morant who's not playing the first 25 games of the season. But when he's healthy and on the Memphis Grizzlies, they were 20 games over 500 last year. So they're going to come on like gangbusters as soon as he's back in the lineup. So that's something I think people need to recognize very realistically the Grizzlies are going to overtake the Jazz. Yeah. So not only are you overtaking two teams to get to the 10th seed, you probably need to overtake three teams. Yeah. And as sucky as it is to say, um, with all of the things that you just said considered, I feel like the Jazz's best chance is if someone ahead of the Jazz currently in the standings suffers some big injury. Gets hurt. Yeah, exactly. Fred VanVleet gets hurt with the Rockets. Zion does not stay healthy because he never stays healthy. And then you still need one more. Yes. It's, it's, It's a rough, it's a big task for the Jazz for sure. And then the Jazz have to stay healthy. Yes. And they have not been healthy this year. So I don't think you pull the plug yet. I actually think it's really bad for your culture if you pull the plug in December, 20 games into the season, and just hand Taylor Hendricks 30 minutes a game and just hand Bryce Sensabaugh 30 minutes a game and just say, you get them because we drafted you, not because you've earned them. I actually think that's really a bad concept of how to do this. But I do think you're getting to that point of conversation where you recognize, hey, at some point, you need to uh, you you need to make the switch to focusing on the future and not focusing on right now. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll look at uh, some of our jazz grades. We'll answer your mailbag and take a look around the NBA. It's the Jazz Notes podcast. Welcome back to the Jazz Notes podcast, Chandler Holt, Ben Anderson. All right, Chandler, let's uh, take a quick look at the weekly news, and we'll get into the games coming up this week. Obviously, the big one, again, the Jazz announced Lowry Markin out at least another week with this uh, hamstring injury that he's dealing with. Yeah, and since the Jazz right now are sort of in limbo deciding which way they want to go, I think it's a great decision with hamstrings. You know, they can linger for a long time. Best decision is make sure your all-star is 100% ready whenever it's time for him to come back. There's just not that much on the line. Yes. In all honesty, there's just not. And you know what? They're 3-2 and two without him in the lineup. And that doesn't mean they're better without Lowry. Nobody thinks that. But you beat New Orleans in back-to-back games, and you play well at home, and then you beat uh, the Trailblazers. That's a fine win. It's not a good win, but it's fine. And then you only have two games this week because they've got the weird in-season tournament, out-of-season tournament. Uh, <laughs> you're out of the tournament, but you're still in season. So you only play two games this week. So I think that's beneficial. Yes, definitely. Um, one more bit of weekly news, also sort of just a recap from one of the games last week. Uh, Taylor Hendricks, he got his first significant NBA minutes um, in the win over Portland, went to OT. Um, he got in in the first half, uh, played some in the fourth quarter as well. Um and honestly, he played pretty good. He didn't have any stats that really jumped off the page at you. He hit a three. He had two, honestly, really good blocks. They came back-to-back. The one chase-down block, I believe it was on Shaden Sharp, I want to say. Um, he played good. He did what I wanted to. He didn't shoot well. He was only, what, one of seven or something like that? Like, he 
Maybe it was two. It was two o seven. He had yeah, a two o seven put back and a three. So that's not what you want to see. You know what I want to see from him, and it's kind of what exactly the Jazz have talked about of why you draft that guy number nine overall. He's six foot ten. He's freakishly athletic. He runs the floor, and he can hit threes and he can block shots. Well, what did he do? He hit a three. He blocked some shots. He ran the floor. Like he doesn't know how to play yet. He doesn't know how to play basketball yet at this level, at all. If you can teach him that, all of those other skills are going to naturally shine through because even right now when he doesn't know how to play, they accidentally shine through. Yes. That's such a good sign, actually. And I wrote about it in my last game or for the Jazz, and I wrote about it specifically with Keontae, not not in regards to uh, Taylor Hendricks. And I've said it, and I'm sorry if you heard me say it before. I'm a huge believer in rookies accidentally having good games because I want what you do that's unique from everybody else or most other people on the planet when you get 82 bites at the apple, at one point, just like you're accidentally going to shine through. Yes. Keontae George, now it's not an accident with Keontae anymore. He, he had 21-6-6, six and six, but like it's not his last 21-6-6 six and six game of the season. And also, we saw the big dunk against Phoenix. Like we, We've seen the breakout performances that he's had already. We, we've seen enough moments to be like, okay, this kid's legit. He's an NBA player. Now it's just how good can he be? With Taylor, I didn't want him to drown all season long and be like, there's nothing there. There's nothing to see there that's like the hope of how he's going to make it. Well, he's had one game of real rotation minutes, and he showed you, well, he's a very good shot blocker. He's going to have the ability to knock down threes in the NBA, even though he didn't shoot a great percentage. Also, some of those, I think he had a heave. Yes. I think he had one late last second clock, uh, a buzzer or a, a end of shot clock uh, attempt. So, like, they weren't great shots or great opportunities for him, and he still took them anyways. Had he done the thing which guys do, which is just like, Ugh, I held on to the ball a half second <laughs> too long. I can't believe I didn't get that shot off. He would have been one of four, and yeah. we would have been like, well, that's a much better, or two of four, or yeah. two of five, and that's a much better shooting performance. So you want to see the things accidentally break through, and they accidentally broke through in his very first game. That's a good sign. Yes. So he will be fine. Um, upcoming this week for the Jazz, we have three games before we record our next podcast next Tuesday. Uh, first, they're going to be in Dallas on Wednesday. Next up, they host the Clippers on Friday, and then in Oklahoma City on Monday. Talking about... Um, the playoff picture and Jazz getting into the playoffs, these are three Western Conference teams ahead of them right now. And are all likely going to make the playoffs. We'll see. Maybe the Clippers can't put it together and they blow it up midseason. But Dallas is good. On the road is going to be very tough. Uh, hosting the Clippers on Friday. Jazz are good at home, though. I mean, they yep. beat the Pelicans. They gave Phoenix all they could handle, even though they lost both games, went to overtime in one of them. So they could beat the Clippers. They've already beat the Clippers here in Salt Lake once, and the Clippers have been a bad road team this year. And then Oklahoma City's awesome. Yeah, That's going to be a brutal game. Yeah, <laughs> it's just going to be a really tough game, uh, you know. And we don't. Lowry won't be back for either Wednesday or Friday, uh, and we'll see if he's available Monday. Yeah, hopefully he is because I would love to see Lowry play against OKC. OKC is a fun team, and outside of Chet Holmgren, they don't have a lot of size. I believe they play six foot six Jalen Williams at their power forward. Um, so I think that'll be a great game. Uh, you want to take a look around the NBA? Let's do a quick look around the NBA, including uh, the games last night, the in season tournament, Pacers. I think stun everybody. Yeah, and are going to the final four, which I bet you the NBA was like. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Boston was right there. Like, we'd love to have Boston in Las Vegas. And now it's going to be the Pacers, which is cool. I mean, people got to recognize Ty- Tyrese Halliburton is a top 15 player in the NBA oh, right now. yes. Like, that dude is cooking. And if the Pacers continue at their pace, let me check where they are in the East right now. Um, he could be in, like, MVP conversations. Not going to say he's going to get that, but he could definitely be top five. Okay, they're sixth right now. The last sixth seed MVP was Russell Westbrook. But, but he's putting up, like, 26 and 12 and shooting 55% from the floor and 45% from three. Like, he's playing 
out of his mind. Yes, honestly, I've never seen a season like this from him when you're looking at elite point guard play. Like, even from Chris Paul, Steve Nash, his assist-to-turnover ratio is ridiculous. No, he is turning into James Harden with the Rockets, but he's, like, doing it better. Yeah. It's not the just, like, I'm going to hold the ball for— 23 out of the 24 seconds and just rack up all these crazy numbers like he's actually moving the ball and it's flowing but then he's also just taking over for quarters and scoring 18 points in the third quarter and then just running a perfect point guard position elsewhere to get everybody involved like he's playing awesome yes so the Pacers deserve to be there clearly they just beat the Celtics and they were hosting that game right that game was in Indiana yes because they had outright won that division Mm -hmm. so good for them uh, and then, of course, you know, maybe. No, actually, you know, I bet you the NBA is happier to have the Pelicans going to Las Vegas instead of the Kings. Yeah. Because you get Zion. Yeah. And Big Zion's name. a draw. Exactly. Uh, as, as much as you may like Demona Sabonis or De'Aaron Fox or lighting the beam and all the fun things Sacramento does, Zion's the biggest name. And, in fact, Brandon Ingram's probably the second biggest name. Mm-hmm. So they would like to have those guys there. And yeah. now tonight we get the uh, Lakers and the Suns, which is obviously the marquee game. For this uh, going forward, and then the Bucks and the Knicks, and I know the NBA wants the Bucks to go, yeah. <laughs> which is funny. You never would have thought that over uh, over New York, but Giannis, Dame, yep, playing against uh, Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers, and they are playing with house money with the Lakers or the Suns. Whoever goes, good for the NBA. Yes, and then uh, after these two games, um, the Bucks will be hosting and the Lakers will be hosting, and then we're going to Vegas. So I'm, I'm honestly really excited for the semifinals and the finals to see how that plays out, what the energy is like there. Um, should be fun. Well, they were playing really hard yesterday in those games like those teams were it's not quite the playoffs but it's the closest you're going to get in the regular season outside of like a make it and you're in playoff scenario in the last game of the regular season this is as tough as i've seen any teams play in december yep good job adam silver yeah you hit a home run that's what you want and these guys are going to get a half million bucks and be happy that they won it and even the guys who don't win it make like fifty thousand, and that's not a bad thing right before Christmas for these guys. And something I, uh, I'd like to point out, going back to last week, um, the I believe it was the Celtics. Uh, yeah, the Celtics were playing the Bulls in an in-season tournament game. It was one of the last group play games, um, and the Celtics were up like 25, 30 points with eight minutes left. And then um, who's the head coach? Joe Mazzulla, uh calls for an intentional foul at the beginning of the shot clock on mm-hmm. Andre Drummond, even though the Celtics are already up twenty-five because they want to build up that point differential to secure their spot. They ended up losing, so I guess that's a little bit of payback for the yeah. Bulls. But I like seeing that energy. Like you said, it's it's playoff energy in December, which NBA fans have never really had before. And you hope it carries over. Yes. You hope it just kind of ups the ante for the rest of the season. The guys are just like, well, we've been playing hard. Like, we're going to keep playing hard. In fact, Tyrese Halliburton rested the last game. He was sick. But they were like, yeah, well, let's get you out for this game to get you fully healthy to play in the tournament game. Yes. That's great. That's what you want. You want these guys playing. Now, you don't want anyone resting at any point, but they— Focused on making sure he was fully healthy for the tournament because they want to win the tournament. And any team wanting to win a game in December as opposed to just saying, like, let's just get to March and really turn it on is a good thing for the NBA. So in-season tournament's been very successful so far. I like it. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the uh, losers, the the down-low depths of the NBA right now. The Pistons' losing streak has been extended to 17 games, and the Spurs have also lost 14 straight. I feel like even Jazz fans can have conversations. Can we Can we still make the playoffs there are a few teams that probably can't have those conversations. Spurs definitely cannot. Yeah. Pistons definitely cannot. It's the real danger. Again, Jazz fans and, you know, I, I you know, get into some arguments on Twitter or people coming at me like, hey, like they should just give Taylor Hendricks and Bryce Sensible the minutes. Like, you really got to be careful because if you turn into the Pistons, you don't come out of it. No. Like the Pistons are now in the point where, and this is where Houston has been over the last few years, where they're like, well, man, we got to go give Dylan Brooks $80 million even though it's going to be so bad for them next year, the year after, and the year after that, 
because they're stuck with this guy, even though like, he's in this honeymoon period and it's really fun right now. But you got to just overspend on mid-level to upper-level average players that aren't stars just to climb out of the basement. And that's not good for your program either long-term. And then all of a sudden you're going to start losing these guys and not knowing whether or not Jaden Ivey's actually a really good player or Jalen Duren's a really good player or even Cade Cunningham. Like You're not getting a real understanding of who he is as a player when you lose 17 games in a row. It sucks to lose. I don't want to play hard when we're losing every night. I'm don't, I don't want to come to work. Yes. Being in the NBA is like one of the great honors there is on the planet. Playing professional sports, an awesome honor. If you hate your job because your team stinks so bad that you lose 17 games, you're not getting accurate information any longer about what this team is. So if you want to just hand the ball over to Josh Christopher and Taylor Hendricks and Bryce Sensabaugh and lose 20 games in a row because you might get a better draft pick at the end of it, you got to really weigh what the cost and the reward is because what the Detroit Pistons are doing is not beneficial. In fact, Victor Wampanyama's already talked about how he's, like, sick of losing. Yeah. It's like, dude, you guys are going to be losing for two more years. I was about to say, buckle up. <laughs> and you've already been losing for two straight years. Like, that's how you—that's, again, the other issue about tanking. You don't sneak in one year, tank, get the top pick, and then never tank again. Tanking is like a three- and four-year process. It takes several years to get several bites at the apple to hope you get the right guy. And people—I've heard this weird, incorrect assumption that, like, Oklahoma City only tanked for 18 months. It's like, no, they didn't. Like, you got to recognize trading Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul was beginning a tank. Yes. And, yes, Chris Paul artificially kept them better than they should have been. Well, that was a problem. But even then, okay, you went out and you got Josh Giddy, which you thought worked. Well, we don't know if Josh Giddy's going to be in the NBA <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Like, in all honesty, yeah. we, he's got serious off-the-floor issues. Yeah, you nailed it on Jalen Williams, but that was another year that you were not very good and you had to get him and you had to pull the plug late in the season. You traded for Shea, and that was great. You didn't have to tank to get Shea. But, like, Chet, you had to tank a whole year to get Chet. All these guys are seasons of losing, and I know Jalen Williams and Chet came in the same draft. Like, I get yeah. some of it is overlap, and that's the advantage of having multiple picks, but it's like, they are not relevant and haven't been relevant for a while, and now they're finally back there. But it's not like this was one bad season. No. And so when you want to tank, it takes several years. San Antonio is right in the middle of it. Detroit's been doing it for too long now. We don't know when they're going to get out of it. Charlotte's in it and has been doing it for a long time. It's just really hard to do, and you've got to be willing to suffer a lot. And I don't know if Jazz fans actually have the willingness to suffer through that much to get that many good players. Yeah, and not only just Jazz fans, you have to think about the locker room as well. I think that there's a lot of players on this Jazz team that would, quite frankly, be opposed to tanking. What would Laurie Markkinen think? An all-star, debatably right. in his prime, right, putting up 27, 28 points a game when he's healthy. Um, and then you have Jordan Clarkson. He's been here for about, what, six seasons, seven seasons? Yeah. And five of those were winning seasons where they were in conversations to make a deep playoff push. And then also Kelly Olynyk. He's a veteran. You know, right. he, any contender would love Kelly Olynyk on their team. I think there is value to tanking. I'm not anti-tank at all. Like I'm not, I don't want to make that seem like that's the case. Sometimes that is the best, best path forward. And I actually think that is the best path forward for the Jazz. They are going to have to really bottom out. But what you don't want is a bunch of guys in your locker room that are okay losing, especially yes. veterans. And then you also don't want to teach rookies that that's the goal. You want to find that sweet spot of the rookies are dying to win every night and they're playing hard and they're getting minutes because they are playing to win, even if the result is not there. But losing by 30 every night just to play the young guys is not a good thing. Yes. So you want to hate losing and still lose games, and that's a really difficult balance. One more uh, thing for around the NBA that we can move on to our jazz grades. I had a question for you. There are a lot of teams that I personally find very shocking where they're in the standings right now, 20 games in. Of course, Orlando and OKC are both second in uh, their respective conferences. But also, the teams I'm about to name uh, sit somewhere between 5th and 10th in their conference. Okay. We have the Miami Heat, okay. the Cleveland Cavaliers, 
the Sacramento Kings, who were the second seed last year, uh, the Lakers, and the Rockets. Which of those teams do you, are you, would you say you're most shocked with how good or bad they've played so far? Probably Cleveland. Cleveland. Cleveland had a weird pathway to getting like the top record in the Eastern Conference, yeah. right? Where Philly, you thought, was going to take a step backwards. Boston was going to take a minute to figure out with Drew, and they weren't going to go all in during the regular season. Now they have. Milwaukee was really going to take a while with Dame, and they were going to be like, well, we're going to take a step back. And as long as, you know, they fought really hard to be the one seed last year and then got eliminated in the first round. Maybe they just kind of coast for 82 games and say, we'll turn it on in the playoffs. But Cleveland was like, we are here to prove that we belong with the elite teams in the East. And getting eliminated in the first round by the Knicks last year was was an uh, abnormality, an anomaly. That's not who we are. And, man, they're, and they can't afford to be bad right now because they're going to lose Donovan Mitchell. Yep. They're either going to have to trade him or he's going to walk. So this that's the biggest implication that they're that they're bad. For me, I would say it's definitely Orlando being the two seed. If 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 I did a standings prediction before, I would have them somewhere between like ninth and twelfth, maybe in the right. East. Um, and they've just been phenomenal. The defense has taken a huge jump. And then outside of that, I would say the Rockets. How good the Rockets are playing as well. I I looked at their acquisitions of Fred VanVleet, Dylan Brooks, um, and I was like, okay, that's cool. They're definitely going to be a better team. What were they, the fourteenth seed last yeah, year? Right. Um, but they're in the playoff race, and yeah. I think that a big part of that is Ime Udoka and just the new culture that he sort of brought in. Um, but yeah. A lot of shocks around the NBA, I'd say. The Magic are very much this year's Kings. Yes. Which is like a young team that kind of finally put it together and added a couple of veterans and finally has an identity, and some of their young guys have figured out what their role is. They stopped trying to be stars, and Jalen Suggs is like, no, I'm just going to be annoying for 20 minutes a game and play defense, and it stinks to play against me. And that's also what uh, Anthony Black is developing into, their rookie. Like, And he's starting games, and they're playing well with him starting. His numbers aren't very good, but... Like, they have an identity that, oh, we're just going to be a pest defensively, and it's horrible to play against us every night, and you hate it. And then Paolo can score a little bit, yep. and Franz can score a little bit, and that's good enough. Yep. That's good. That, that's what it takes. Yep. All right, let's go into our Jazz grades. Of course, we're looking back at the last week where the Jazz went 1-2, and two, lost to the Grizzlies, lost to the Timberwolves, and beat the Blazers. Uh, let's start with the veterans. How do you feel about the veterans the past week? Obviously hard because the veteran, Lowry Markinen, has been out. Yes. Jordan Clarkson's also been hurt. He returned for one game, and then was, it was ill. Returned for one game, got hurt, and then didn't uh, didn't play again uh, on, what was that now? I'm missing Saturday. Saturday? Yeah, that's when they played uh, the Trailblazers. Um, you know what? You got pretty good minutes from Colin Sexton this week, actually. Didn't shoot the three well, but he played okay. Yep. John Collins has been really up and down recently, and you can't see by his numbers because he always gives you 15 points and eight rebounds every night, and you're like, well, he's super consistent, but it's like his impact on the game can really change wildly, where I thought he was quite good against Portland but we'll give you the exact same numbers the night before and be terrible. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the other veterans really just haven't played a whole lot. Not enough. So I'll give them a C. Okay. I was thinking C, C+, plus, but I'll meet you at a C because there's nothing really stood out from the past yeah, week. Yeah, uh, other than Colin Sexton had a yes. really good 25-point performance and was arguably the best player on the floor. Oh, and you know what? Let's throw Omer Yurtsevin, oh. who had a really good overtime stretch and is a veteran. Yeah. He's not a young player anymore. So let's go uh, Let's go C+. Plus. I'll okay. take that because Omer probably bumps you up. Cool. I like that. Uh, next up, young players. Um, of course, Keontae um, had his struggles uh, to start the week, but then picked it up, especially in the last game of the week. Um, and then you have Simone Fontecchio playing his best basketball, I'd say, so far, without a doubt. Um, shooting it really well. Like you said, he's been putting in a lot of energy on defense. Um, for the young guys, I would say last week, the young guys was our best grade as well. I think that's probably going to stand, uh, stand pat for this week. I'm going to go with a flat B. 
I think that's fair. Keontae yeah. George had his best game in a Jazz uniform against Portland, which is a huge plus. He also had his worst game in a Jazz uniform in Minnesota. So he's still only shooting 31% from the floor and 22% from three over his last three games. Like, that's not good, actually. Yep. But he still had his moments of brightness that you talked about. Yes, Simone is hitting his rhythm a little bit. He's hitting his stride. And he still only shot 35% from the floor and 30% from three. Like, it's not like he's averaging 25, 5, and 5 and, yeah. you know, shooting lights out. Walker was actually pretty good. Uh, average 7 and 7 last week. Four blocks a game, which is crazy. <laughs> but uh, he's also, like, coming off the bench. And Will Hardy was like, yeah, you got dunked on twice because you were late rotating to the basket. And so we're going to sit you for the entire overtime and play a guy in Omer Yurtsevin who came off the scrap heap. So maybe I'm not giving the veterans enough credit, and maybe I'm giving the rookies too much credit or the young guys too much credit. But, yeah, B, B minus. And we saw Taylor Hendricks. That's yeah. like a plus in itself. Yes. So I'll give him a B. All right. I'll give him a half-grade bump just because Taylor Hendricks played. Uh, next up for standings, uh, the Jazz are still 12th in the West. I mean, I guess you can sort of factor in that they're only two and a half games out of the playoff picture. Um, but we've been solid around a D, and I think that that'll probably stay the same this week. Sticking with a D. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's not that fun. And then next up, fun factor. Um, even though they did go one and two, I would say Grizzlies game was an F for fun factor. Definitely should have been a close game if not pull out a win there. Half the Minnesota game was fun. Yeah. First yeah. half was fun. Second half was dreadful. And then I would say the majority of the Blazers game was fun. Uh, in the fourth quarter, there's definitely some, are the Jazz going to find a way to lose this game? Uh, but they end up going into OT and winning it. <sighs> Again, somewhere in the middle, I'm going to say maybe C plus, B minus. I see. I'm thinking C minus. C minus, just because okay. That Grizzlies game might have been the worst game of the year. Oh, yeah. And it's easy to like forget about it because now it was in the past. Yeah. And Portland was one of the better games of the year. So if you cancel those out with like a great game and a terrible game, what did you get from Minnesota? Well, you got half of a good game and half of a terrible <laughs> game. So yeah, I go right down the middle again with a C. And I hate cool. to just I hate to be so middling, but that's what a seven and thirteen team is that yep. wins once every three games and plays well once every three games. Like that's <laughs> what you're gonna get. It's not a total failure, but it's certainly not awesome. All right, let's get into the mailbag. We're going to answer your questions like we do every single week. Um, also, make sure to still submit questions even after you're listening to this. And you can also find a prompt on threads, and we'll be doing a uh, an article mailbag so you can get your other questions answered. Yeah, if you don't hear it on the uh, podcast, I'm still going to try and go back and revisit all of these that I can, and that usually comes out Thursday or Friday. Uh, first up from Holly Hardy, uh, any word on uh, Markinen's hamstring? Once he is back, do you see Taylor Hendricks continuing to be in the rotation, or will he go back to the Stars for development? Nothing other than we know Lowry's going to be reevaluated. I guess it's Saturday yep. for that hamstring, so he's going to miss these next two games. Good question, Holly. Uh, and then I don't see Taylor staying in the rotation necessarily because someone has to get minutes. Yes. And he's not going to take minutes from Walker. And I actually think Omer is the guy who's now earned minutes in the front court. Like, the team plays totally different with him and Walker both being on the floor the whole game. Not together, but alternating the whole game. So, I, I just don't think there's space for him. Unless you're going to play him at the three. Yep. Which maybe you do. Uh, but, no, not yet. He is going to go back to the Stars because you can give him 30 minutes a night and you just can't do that with the Jazz. And as good or bad as you want to say that he played in that game, uh, the fact of the matter is is that he got those minutes because both Markinen and Kelly Olenek were benched. Yeah. Um, so that's just the fact of that. I do have a question about this, though. Say 30 games from now, right? Uh -huh. We're a little bit past the halfway point of the season. Uh, the Jazz defense is still bad, but they're sort of still in the middle, right? They could maybe get into that 10th seed. They could fall all the way down to 14th. 
but the, they say the biggest problem is defense. Taylor Henders continues to make his strides in the G League. Do you see him starting to get more minutes around then just for his the defensive impact? I think by next month he's getting minutes. Okay. I think he's in the rotation yeah. next month. Okay. Uh, and I think the Jazz thin out the front court. We've talked so much about like thinning out the back courts. Yes. Well, there's actually value for other teams, and there's the name we've talked about that every contender would love to have that's on an expiring deal at $10 million and plays the exact same position as Taylor Hendricks and probably doesn't make sense to have on this team next year because here's the problem, and we haven't talked about this. We haven't gotten here yet, and we're going to, and it's going to be an important conversation. The Jazz are going to be bad next year too. Yeah. Like because Cooper Flagg is coming into the NBA draft and you didn't tank hard enough to get Victor Wembanyama, but you are going to do that next year. Yeah. And it will be really interesting, I guess, what happens if the Jazz don't convey their draft pick. And we can talk about I think we get a question about that. Uh, their draft pick to Oklahoma City this season because technically it could still go to Oklahoma City next year. It's probably next year's a great draft. And you, meaning the 2025 draft, and you give it to Oklahoma City if it's outside of the top 10. So there's a real reason to not be outside of the top 10 in what's expected to be a very good draft when you're still rebuilding and you need that other all-star player and that's how you're going to get him. So, like, this year, unfortunately, just kind of stinks because there's not a great pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. But next year there is, so you, get, you probably need to be bad again next year. Yeah. Even though you also have Minnesota and Cleveland's picks, like, it's going to take a while. This rebuild <laughs> is just starting. Yes. This is not coming to an end, in my opinion. Uh, and I see the Jazz being in the top five or ten again next year. Next up from Lucas, three years down the road when we should be contending, who is our starting five? I would say this is really hard to say when you're looking that far down the line. Odds are two, three, if not four uh, of the players in the starting lineup will be players that maybe we aren't even on this team right now. Um, I would say Jazz fans hope that uh, Larry Markinen and Walker Kessler, your two most promising players, are there. What do you think? I think Keontae George is my safest bet to be there. And I don't know who else. And honestly, like, (laughs) if you can replace... Walker with a better player, you replace him with a better player. Like, fine. You get a better player, good. That's a good player. Walker's good. You get a player who's better than Walker, great. Yep. And I would think maybe Lowry, but I think the timeline probably still fits. You could probably three years be rebuilding. He's not 30 yet. Three years from now, he's still not 30 years old. So he's entering his prime, and he's the best player on the roster or one of the two best players on the roster. So those would be my most likely. And ideally, Walker continues to grow at that pace, but like, I remember covering the Jazz when it was like, oh, they've got Rodney Hood and they've got Dante Exum and they've got Trey Burke. Like, those guys are going to be a part of the future. And it was like, no, the guy you drafted 27 in Rudy Gobert is actually the future. Yeah. And none of those other guys matter at all. They don't matter. You'll trade them for Jay Crowder and, well, you know, whatever, like, weird yeah. random pieces you got for these guys. So it's it's hard to pick, but I would say Keontae George probably the most likely. Uh, next up, we have two questions from Glenn Anderson. Um, if you ran the team, would you trade the vets with value and start playing Hendricks and Bryce, or would you make a trade and push for the play-in, or just be optimistic and see what presents itself? Be optimistic and see what presents itself, Definitely. or opportunistic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just play it out for at least another 20 games, 15 games, which is all of December and into January a little bit. See where you are. If this defense is for real and Lowry comes back and you're all of a sudden right at 500, you have a really good chance to make the 10th seed, and I think you stick with that. And fine, you convey your draft pick to get to your other question. You convey your draft pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder, which is top 10 protected. So if it falls between 11 and 30, it goes to OKC via the Derek Favors salary dump that happened a couple of years ago. If you don't give it to them, you get to pick 
keep it this year, but the protections exist on next year's draft pick again, which is what I was just talking about, which is if it falls in the top 10, it goes to the Jazz. If it falls from 11 to 30, it goes to OKC. And the value then is it automatically turns into two second-round draft picks, which is a hilarious switch of, like, first-round pick that's potentially, like, the 11th pick or garbage. Yeah. What would you rather have? <laughs> and the Jazz are like, well, we'll take the good pick and give them garbage. And OKC's like, please, give us another first-round pick. We would, that would be great for us. Maybe we can get another Jalen Williams or, or uh, 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 Josh Giddy type of player in yep. the middle of the first round. So there's real motivation for, A, either the Jazz to convey it this year so they do still have their first-round pick in the Cooper flag draft, or you just keep both of them. Yep. And more likely, they keep both of them and give OKC two second-round picks in the future. So, yeah, be opportunistic. See what presents itself. See if you randomly start winning. That's fine this year, but I think you want a top-ten pick next season. All right, both of those questions answered for Glenn. Uh, last up from Craig, um, hindsight, uh, would the Jazz do the Conley trade again? I really dislike that trade and more over now. You got all-star Mike Conley yeah, for Grayson Allen, Jay Crowder, and two draft picks, which coincidentally one of them turned into Walker Kessler, who plays <laughs> for your basketball team. Yeah. So, And the other one was like Darius Baisley, who I don't know if he's in the NBA anymore. I honestly don't know if he's playing. So, like, honestly, from a talent trade, yeah, I think you do. You got the best player and also the second best player, which was Walker Kessler randomly came back yes. to you. And now it costs you Rudy Gobert to get that, so that's not totally fair a way to look at it. But from a raw standpoint, yes, you won that trade. Truth Serum, Dennis Lindsay, Justin Zanuck, they would rather have used those assets to get a different player, Yeah, and they didn't pick the right player at the time. And the name I would throw out there is Drew Holiday. Yeah. And, looking could, at- you, and could you have even gotten Drew Holiday – for Grayson Allen, Jay Crowder, two future first. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. And looking at it, like, I know that the Jazz had a really good start to the year last year. After a month, they were the first seed in the NBA, and a lot of that was Mike Conley and his effect on the offense. But it's a whole new it's a whole new team this year. You have Keontae, who you're trying to build up. And, of course, maybe putting Conley in front of Keontae will even improve his playmaking even more in his, in his basketball IQ. But I think that... The dump of Conley, especially how old is Conley, like 34 years yeah. old, um, I, I think you still do it because you're going young. And when you're starting a rebuild, you need to make trades to get the older players out of town to get in more assets. And that's exactly what the Jazz did. Yeah, that's an important part of the conversation is, hey, we're not done with this Mike Conley trade. As funny as that is, like, Jazz got an unprotected future Lakers pick. Now, the Lakers are usually pretty good, but maybe you get – a ninth pick randomly when the Lakers are bad one year or the 13th pick because it's really hard right now to win in the NBA by just signing superstars. The whole CBA is designed to stop you from being able to do that now. You have to be a little bit organically grown by having draft picks, and the Lakers are always going to be a destination, but they can't just sign everybody now under the current collective bargaining agreement. So I don't think you get that pick until it's 2027. But, like, again, if that's a top three pick, well, then it was a great trade. Like, Mike Conley turned into that. That doesn't include, you know, Jared Vanderbilt and some of the other pieces you moved to make this deal done. And that somebody had to eat $30 million for Russell Westbrook to go away. Like, did that, Ryan Smith cut Russell Westbrook a crazy check to leave Utah so he could go sign with the Clippers. I'm sure that wasn't a fun day. Yeah. But, yeah, this trade is actually not done yet. Still. So, there might be value there. 
Thank you guys for tuning into the Jazz Notes podcast. Make sure to sign up for the Jazz Notes newsletter and also submit your questions to the mailbag on Twitter or X and on threads. Uh, we will be back next Tuesday. Yeah, find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Find Chandler at ChandlerHoltKSL and follow us at kslsports.com. Thank you.